According to Luke, chapter 2, we're still in chapter 2, verses 21 through 40. We'll read the passage and do our best to unpack it. But I'd like to, uh, one more thing as we're moving on. This card should be in your bulletin. Here's our new cards. This makes it easy to evangelize, if you will, especially if you're a little shy. There's a card. You can give them a card. Gives them the information on the back, tells them about the live streaming. Uh, it's a good-looking card, and it's an opportunity for you to introduce yourself to somebody and invite them to the church. So they're all over the church. You can take them and use them, and we encourage you to use the ones that you have today. We are in a portion of the Scripture that is foundational for understanding the truths of the gospel. If you were with us last week, if you missed it, you can go back and you can and, and view it. We, the storm has upset a little bit of the, the, the streaming, so there's some issues on that that we're still working through, and it's just brand new to us, so be patient with us on that. But if you even if you miss the live stream of it, the audio is always available. And we looked last week at what we called the most familiar story in all of Scripture. You remember what that was? And you probably are familiar with the most familiar story. That was the story that we got out of uh, the Charlie Brown Christmas special. That's where Linus comes out. Charlie Brown asked, does anybody know the meaning of Christmas? And, and Linus comes out <clears throat> and he tells us the meaning of Christmas. And when I was a little boy, it was one of my favorite scenes in any movie. And back when I was a little boy, it wasn't on video. It, there was no DVD. You had a TV. You had to actually get up and go change the channels on and then come back to your seat. And you had to look at a TV guide and find out when it was scheduled. So Mama would always look. She'd find out when it was scheduled and, and we'd watch it. And I memorized it. It was a wonderful passage, but I didn't even know what I was memorizing then. Linus comes out and he, and he quotes scripture. He quotes the passage we did last week, Luke 2, 8 to 14. But he quotes it from the King James Version. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over the flock by night. And lo, an angel of the Lord appeared. And the glory of the Lord shone round about. And they were sore. I love to get to the word sore. They were sore afraid. What a beautiful passage. And, and he finishes and comes off and says, that's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. So it's a very, very, very familiar passage. This week, probably the most unfamiliar passage. How many of you, as you gear up for your Christmas season and get out your decorations and your manger scenes and get ready for Christmas, how many of you spend time thinking about Simeon and Anna? Who? Simeon and Anna. Well, we're going to look at Simeon and Anna this morning. And they are critical, especially in the eyes of the historian, doctor, writing under the inspiration, Luke. And you'll see today why. So we go from the most familiar passage and story in Scripture to the most unfamiliar and two of the most obscure and unknown figures, but are absolutely critical for establishing the truths of the gospel. Okay? The testimony at the temple. Luke 2, 21 to 40, here now, the word of God. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise him, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he had been conceived. When the time of their purification, according to the law of Moses, had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It has been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the Lord required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation." which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, 
This child is destined to cause the falling and the rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Penuel, the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. May God add his rich blessing to his inspired and errant and fallible word. Let's pray. Father, it is no accident we're here this morning, everyone, by divine appointment, which means you have something to speak into each heart right now. Whether student, senior, adult, and all those in between, speak now through this broken vessel and speak only your words from this pulpit. It is only the power of the Word of God applied by the Spirit of God that conforms us to the image and likeness of the Son of God. And that is what we need and desire most. Father, make it a word of salvation for those who are not saved. Make it a word of comfort and peace for those who are in the midst of storm winds that are blowing and a word of rest. For those who are tired and weary and heavy laden, all things to all people that some might be saved. Father, give us minds to understand with ears to hear and hearts that beat for nothing smaller than Christ. Come, now fount of every blessing. Unclutter our minds and unburden our hearts that we might see Jesus in him only. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said. The testimony at the temple going to look at it from three perspectives very briefly number one mary and joseph number two simeon and number three anna why is this important well god must be faithful to his own word god has told us in his own word that he must be faithful simeon 11 verses dedicated to simeon nine his encounter with jesus anna's got only three and we don't know anything about the encounter other than she, she sees him and identifies him for who he is. She testifies. But as quickly as these two show up and as brief, uh, as quickly they disappear. They're gone. Never to be heard of again. But never to be forgotten. Simeon and Anna giving testimony. What are they testifying to? That Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's the testimony. Is Jesus who he says he is? Well, they give testimony. Why does God need to be faithful to his word? He tells us in Deuteronomy chapter 17 and here in 1915. Take a look. One witness is not enough to convict anyone accused of any crime or offense. A matter must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. So God has made it clear. Something important, a matter that's important, must be established by two or three witnesses. In John 8, 17, in your own law, it is written that the testimony of two witnesses is true and then finally, 2 Corinthians 13, 1, every matter must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. So God must be faithful. So he's going to provide witnesses for us. We would assume, <coughs> excuse me, Joseph and Mary are going to testify to the truth, but who is Simeon and who is Anna? And they absolutely become critical to the whole birth narrative. Luke leaves out a couple aspects of the birth narrative that we read in the other accounts. He doesn't tell us about the Magi. He leaves out Herod coming after the two-year-olds and under. But he puts this in. Why? He's a historian. He is committed to uncovering the truth by investigation. So he carefully examines everything, leaves no stone unturned. And he tells us about Simeon and Anna who testify at the temple to this Christ child. Ready? Briefly. Number one, Mary and Joseph. Luke 2.21. On the eighth day, it was time to circumcise Jesus, the name the angel had given him before conception. We could stop there. There's the testimony. Why is that the testimony that they believe Jesus is the son of God? Because the angel came and, and told Mary what to name him. And if you remember in Matthew chapter 1, when the angel comes to Joseph, Joseph is not 
thrilled with the idea that his, his future wife is pregnant. And uh, she says, it's God. So Joseph has to be convinced. Notice the men find it difficult to believe and the women believe instantly. Uh, but the men just struggle with it. But the angel says uh, she has been overshadowed by the Most High God. And she will give birth to a son and you will call him Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. So there it is. There's the testimony. This is the Savior. God is a saving God. He's been a saving God from the beginning. All throughout the Old Testament, the people Israel know God as a saving God. He saved them time and time and time again from their enemies. He saved them from the consequences of their own sins. So here is now the promised Messiah, the promised Savior who will come. And they testify to that truth by doing exactly what the angel instructs them to do by naming him Jesus. Moving forward, just to lay the foundation. In our country, in our system of jurisprudence, when you look to establish a matter, you you look for testimony. But also, you look for the character of those who are testifying. That becomes important. The character of, of, of these people testifying is, is above reproach. It's unquestioned. Uh, in, in, this, in this account, we know that they are, they are devout. They are committed to obedience to the law of God. They are committed to their service to God. These people are simply above reproach. They are credible witnesses to what it is that they are claiming. And Mary and Joseph, unlike Simeon and Anna, who are old, these are kids. They're teenagers. So parents, think about that with your teenagers. She's 12 or 13. He's 13, 14, 15, 16. We don't know. But these are kids. This is when they married. And they are devout and righteous and committed to the things of God. It's powerful. When you understand the credibility of the witnesses that are giving testimony. Of course, the circumcision is another aspect of their being devoted to God. Genesis 17, 12. Remember the covenant promise to Abraham? For generations to come, every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised. What do Elizabeth and and Zechariah do? In chapter 1, they take John who later becomes the Baptist. And by the way, he's not a Baptist. He's not a Presbyterian, not a Methodist. called him John the Baptist because he baptized. He baptized in, 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 in the river. But he's circumcised on the eighth day. Why? They too were devout. They too were righteous. They too were committed to God and his law. So Jesus is taken in. The sign of the covenant is, is performed. And now we want to move into purification. We want to talk about it. Many have asked over the years, we understand the sign of circumcision and, and, the, and the covenant, but the, the little girls are left out. Well, they're not. You've got to go back into another passage, and we're going to unpack it just a little bit to see that the girls are not left out. They're not circumcised, but they're not left out. They're involved in, in the purification rites. And know this. Just know this right from the beginning. From the sign of circumcision to the purification To every aspect of Levitical law, all of it pointed to one thing. They were sinners in need of a Savior. That's the whole point of understanding the system. You don't have to have real deep theology. and it's, It's a simple thing to understand. God was painting the picture. Lamb after lamb after lamb after lamb. He's painting the picture. You are sinners in need of a Savior. You will need the cleansing blood of the one who is to come because the blood of bulls and goats will in no wise atone for your sin. It is pointing to the one who will one day come, who now has come. Okay? You see the picture? So now we want to take a look at this purification very briefly. When the time of their purification according to the law, again, devout, obedient, was completed, Joseph and Mary took Jesus to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. We'll get to that. But now we're going to go back to Leviticus, okay? And we'll be very brief, trust me. 12, chapter 12, 2 to 6, and then 8. The Lord is speaking to Moses. The Lord is painting a picture of of sinful humanity. And this is what he lays out. And it includes both the boys and the girls, okay? An Israelite woman who becomes pregnant and gives birth to a son will be ceremonially unclean for seven days as she is during her monthly period. On the eighth day, the boy is to be circumcised. 
Then she must wait 33 days to be purified from her bleeding. She must not touch anything sacred or go to the sanctuary until her purification is over. Let's stop there for just a moment. Okay, what's going on? There's nothing sinful about the act of, 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 of intimacy between the husband and the wife. There's nothing sinful about having a child. There's nothing sinful about menstruation each month. It's a picture and it's a sign God is showing them that this is a reminder that you are a sinner in need of a Savior. The baby, the baby is born. And what is it a reminder of the parents? What is it designed to remind the parents of? The only thing that you can produce, the only thing you will ever produce, no matter how righteous and devout and holy, is a sinner. That's all you will ever produce. And only by recreation will that child be brought into the family of faith. So all of this is painting a picture. It's nothing, nothing more sinful about the woman in menstruation or having the child. It's the picture, the time of delay in order for her to go back to the temple. It's a reminder to them that you are in a sinful condition still in need of a Savior to come and cover you. The blood of the Lamb will have to come. The true Lamb of God that John identifies. Behold the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. Now we go to the girl. There is, there is a provision for the baby girls. The time is simply doubled. If she gives birth to a daughter, now instead of one week, it's two. For two weeks now, the woman will be unclean. Then she must wait 66. The time is doubled. 66 days to be purified from her bleeding. Again, a reminder of what? Sin, the sinful condition by nature that all you will ever produce in procreation is another sinner. That's it. When the days of her purification for a son or daughter are over, she is to bring, now, here it is, she is to bring to the priest a year-old lamb for a burnt offering and a young pigeon or dove for a what? Sin off. You see how it all fits? And finally she gets to the end and she's, she's, she's stayed out 40 days or 80 days. Now they have to come and what? Make their offering. To just cement in their hearts and in their minds that you are a sinner awaiting the arrival of the true lamb who is to come. It's a beautiful picture. Beautiful picture. If she cannot afford... A lamb, she is to bring two doves or two pigeons, one for a burnt offering and the other for a sin offering, and the priest will make atonement for her. Okay? Let's deal with the firstborn, and then we'll, we'll finish on that before we go to Simeon. We'll come back in just a sec. 2.23, written in the law, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord. We hear an echo here from Mary. We hear an echo in this, in this narrative. Back to Hannah, don't we? Sure we do. Hannah takes her child and consecrates him and dedicates him to the Lord. But we hear a deeper echo. There's a much, much deeper. What's the echo here? What's the echo? Remember, there's really two great redemptions in, in all of Scripture when you, when, you, when you put them together. The Exodus redemption, which points to the redemption on the hill Golgotha. Exodus redemption, what happens to the firstborn in the tenth plague? The firstborn of Egypt is killed. But the firstborn of Israel, the people of God, is spared. This is a reminder. This is telling them what? Remember, remember, remember what I did for you then. I set aside and consecrated your firstborn. Now you dedicate that firstborn to me. Now, there were some really, really abhorrent practices in that time and surrounding nations. So I want to touch on that for just a moment so that you can see how beautiful it is to have a true saving God. God was a saving God in the Old Testament and he's a saving God in the New. Ready? Leviticus 18.21 Do not give your children to be sacrificed to Moloch. You must not profane the name of your God. Pagan child sacrifice was abhorrent to God. The pagans would take the firstborn and to appease their pagan deities, they would sacrifice them on the altar. It was abhorrent to God. And he said to his people, you will never, ever do this. You, you, you will set aside that child and that child will be given over to me. But it's really a spiritual giving, if you will, at the deepest level. And for the redemption price, five shekels would be paid 
by the parents to redeem. And that would go to where? Who, 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 who were the firstborn in Israel as far as the tribe that would be dedicated to God? The Levites. So that was the firstborn tribe. And the firstborn in that tribe would always go into the temple. So the shekels are paid in order to support the temple and support the priesthood. But what is this a picture of? It's a picture of a of, 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 of reminder of God's exodus redemption. That I'm a saving God. And every time that you give birth, that firstborn is to be consecrated and set apart for me. Remember who I am. Remember what I've done. And remember what's coming. That promised fulfillment which we have now. Important point to make. And then we'll go to Simeon. Luke 2.24. Offer a sacrifice in keeping with the law, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Why did Mary and Joseph offer a sacrifice at the temple for the priests? Answer, because they were sinners in need of a savior. Okay, Mary was not sinless. Joseph was not sinless. Elizabeth was not sinless. Zachariah was not sinless. Jesus was sinless. It's the only one. She even says that this is my Savior, Jesus, my beautiful Magnificat. So know that. She knew what she was. She didn't need anyone to re-qualify her and and redefine who she was. She knew she was a sinner in need of a Savior. And when she held that baby, she knew she was holding in her arms her own salvation. What a beautiful picture. That's Mary. So they offer the sacrifice. One a burnt offering and one a sin offering. And that's testimony from two you would expect. But now, let's, let's go to these two characters that we don't know much about. And they just show up. And Luke shows them up for a reason. You ready? Let's take a look at Simeon. Simeon, Luke 2, 25 to 28. Simeon, the word, names back in, in those days, ancient times. And in some cultures today, names mean something. Yes? Simeon, it means God has heard. God has heard. Beautiful name. Beautiful picture. God has heard. Simeon. So they're here. It's from the tribe of what? Simeon, right? That was one of the tribes, 12 tribes. Simeon, now God has heard his prayer. What was his prayer? Simeon was righteous and devout. What does devout mean? It it just means he was totally consecrated and set apart in his own heart for the things of God. He was focused. He had a vertical vision. Probably a better way to put it in in, in a common contemporary context. He had a vertical vision. That's all. He was waiting for what? Oh, don't miss this beautiful word. The consolation of Israel. When's the last time you heard that? That's, that's another term for Messiah. What does consolation mean? Comfort or help. The Hebrew word, the Hebrew word for that consolation would be Menachem. You've added another name to that, haven't you? Menachem Begin. Remember? Sixth prime minister. Menachem means what? The counselor, the comforter. That's a beautiful picture here of Christ. That's only here, only here with Luke. The consolation of Israel. That's what Simeon waited for. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, it says, and revealed to him that he would not die before seeing the Christ. Can you imagine that promise? So day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, he waited for the consolation of Israel. Then he went into the temple. I don't want you to miss this. He went into the temple because we could be confused on what it might look like. He went into the temple and when the parents brought in Jesus, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God. It wouldn't be like walking in here this morning where, where Simeon would be able to probably pick out Mary and Joseph and the baby. There's not that many here today. But the temple, there was thousands. How in the world does Simeon walk in and walk up to Mary and Joseph and hold this consolation in his arms as a divine appointment it's led by the holy spirit you've had divine appointments throughout your life haven't you most of the time we miss them well this one wasn't missed on simeon because he'd been waiting for it so here's this this massively crowded temple court area and simeon goes right up to them what a picture ready now we're going to move on 29 to 32 sovereign lord As promised, now dismiss your servant in peace. For I have seen your salvation, which you prepared in the sight of all people, 
a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. That, of course, would be the Abrahamic covenant, yes? Because it covers all people. Abraham would be a father of what? All nations. Every tongue, tribe, and people. That's, that's the Abrahamic covenant. Simeon knew that. Simeon, listen, re- remember this. At this time in, in Israel, Israel, for the most part, was apostate. They, they, were, they were rooted in legalism and hypocrisy. And they were not waiting for the consolation of Israel. They were working their way to God. They were climbing, they were climbing ladder number one up to heaven and ladder number two up to heaven. They in no way were waiting for the grace of God to explode on the scene into, into humanity and time and space. They were not. But God always and in every way has a remnant for himself. And that's what these people are. Simeon and Anna. They are, they are the remnant who are waiting. They are truly saved. The, the, they are the people of God. They are waiting for God's grace to come. They are waiting, and they are waiting, and they are waiting. So this is a very special man who is testifying to the truth of the gospel. Notice what he says. Remember we've talked about the last few weeks. We, we've mentioned to you the first four Christmas carols, and they come out of Luke. You know what they are, and we've walked through them. Mary's song. Mary's song, she calls. Uh, it's, it's known as the Magnificat. The Latin, the translation in the Latin takes the first word or two or sometimes a little further into the first line and translates. Mary says, my soul doth magnify. To it, in the Latin, the Magnificat. It's a beautiful song. These are songs that don't come out of the Psalms. They come right out of Luke's gospel. So we have the first Christmas song, Mary's Magnificat. Then we have Zechariah. Zechariah has his what? His Benedictus. Blessed be God. It's a beautiful song and a beautiful picture. Then everyone's familiar with the angelic song. Glory to God in the highest, right? In excelsis Deo. Everyone is familiar with the angelic song. But very few are familiar with this one. The song is the Nook Dimittis. Take a look. Now dismiss. Imagine what he's really saying. This godly, devout, righteous man. Imagine what he's saying in his fourth, in the fourth Christmas canticle. He says, now dismiss your servant in peace. I'm ready to die. I'm ready to depart and go home. Because I have seen the salvation of the Lord. I want to show you two words that are important to see and, and it's easy to miss. The word dismiss in the Greek, it's important for you to see what that is. It's apoluo. And, and that really is a legal term. And I'm going to show you why that's important. Because many translations, the English translations, the Bible that you're probably reading, tells you after that, your servant, you know the word servant is in there? That's not the word. We've talked about this a number of times, haven't we? The, the, the translators have, have, have brought the word servant in to make it easier, especially in, in this cultural context, of, of reading that passage. The word slave comes with an awful lot of baggage. And there's a lot of negative connotation that comes with the word slave. But that word always and everywhere in, in, in the scripture is slave. Doulos. Take a look at the word doulos. Greek doulos. So if, he, if that word is doulos and, and Simeon sees himself as a slave, he's a bondservant. He is, he is held captive by God. He is a slave of God. Then that word apoluo takes on even greater meaning. He's now saying what? Release me. Release me from my captivity, if you will. I have been held captive by you based on the promise you gave me that I would not die until I gazed into the eyes of salvation itself. And now I have done that. Nook Demithis. Now dismiss your slave. What a beautiful, beautiful picture of somebody who was totally committed to God. Moving on with him, just a few more points. Simeon, bless them. Verse 20, uh, 34, Simeon blessed them and he said to Mary, this child is destined to cause the falling and the rising of many in Israel. Now let's unpack this one briefly and a sword will pierce your own soul too. We'll do that first and then we'll go back. But what does that mean? If you remember the gospel accounts, did a sword pierce Mary's soul? All, all throughout, certainly the adult ministry. But imagine her whole life. She knew who he was. She knew what he was destined for. She, she knew by the name. 
for he will save his people from their sins. What did she know about salvation? She had to give a sacrifice for her own sins. So she knew he was going to be a sacrifice. She knew he was born to die. Every single moment. Imagine that. We talk about wanting to know the future. Trust me, you don't. You, you don't want to know when you're going and how. You don't. It, it, would, it, would, it, would, it would consume us. And for some, it would terrify us. She knew every moment of every day who that child was. And one day what would happen to him. But notice, notice that, that Simeon doesn't include Joseph. Because Joseph is nowhere to be found later in the gospel account. He's, he's seemingly passed on. He's gone. And Mary is, is, is there. And Mary's standing at the cross. And as the sword pierces into the side of Jesus, the sword pierces her own soul. That's the promise of, of, of one who loves so deeply her her child and, and the Lord. But now go back. I want to show you a, what this is coming out of the Old Testament. This passage is so Jewish. This is one of the best places. When you talk about speaking to your Jewish friends, don't go to John 3.16. Don't, don't, don't. We go to passages that are rooted in the Old Testament. We go to passages that are Jewish. We go to passages that connect us with the saving God in the Old Testament who is the same saving God in the New. That this is part of God's unfolding plan of redemption from beginning to end. It is seamless throughout all of Scripture. There's a break, to be sure, of 400 years in the intertestamental period. We've spoken of that. But there's no break in the strand of the theme of all of Scripture. The Savior who has come to save his people from their sins. Okay? Let's look at this. This comes right out of the Old Testament. Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel. Well, where did he come up with that? Isaiah 8, 14. This is just one location. He will be a stone that causes people to stumble and fall. What does the gospel do? The gospel repels. What else does the gospel do? Well, let's take a look at the second part. Isaiah 28, 16. I lay a stone in Zion, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. The one who relies on it will never what? Fall. The gospel attracts. The gospel gospel lifts up. And the gospel takes down. That's the truth of the gospel. So he has come for the rising and the falling of many. That, that, there's really two categories that you could fit that in in the original Greek. It could be two different categories of people. Or it could be the individual person themselves. In order for you to rise, you must first what? Fall. Right? As Dr. Kennedy would say, you got to preach the bad news before you preach the good news. you got to get them lost before you get them saved. As most people say, well, what do I need a Savior for? Well, you got to get them lost. you got to show them why. So there's the picture. And it is a beautiful picture coming out of the Old Testament. And Simeon knew his scripture. So, from Simeon the man, now comes the woman, representing the whole human race. The man comes first, but it is not good for the man to be alone. Number three, Anna, the prophetess. What a... Three lines. Three lines. But Luke says this is so critical to the foundational truths of establishing the historicity of the truths of the gospel. Anna shows up. Three verses. Let's take a look. Let's unpack. After seven years of marriage, she was a widow until 84, never leaving the temple, worshiping night and day, fasting and praying. It doesn't, you understand what that means? She was committed and she was devoted and she may have had a residence in the temple area. She may have been serving the priesthood for that particular reason. It didn't mean, I don't want you to take that literally and then every time I show up, you're sitting on the doorstep here. Don't do that. That's not what it meant. That she would be there all the time. It means that she's committed and she's totally devoted and she's 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 she has poured her entire life out. She never remarried. No shame for her. She was married to God and waiting for the consolation of Israel, the redemption of Jerusalem. So it's a beautiful picture of her commitment. So she has the credibility to be a witness, going to them. How? We don't know how. God has a divine appointment. Going to them, she thanked God. We don't even read about the encounter. 
She thanked God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to what? The redemption of Jerusalem. There's the Davidic covenant. The throne of David would be reestablished in Jerusalem and we would once again what? Have dominion. You have the Abrahamic covenant. Right? People and land and, 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 and the promised blessing. And you have the Davidic covenant and dominion. And all of that takes us back to the, to the, to the opening account in Genesis 1. We had all of those things. And then we go to Jeremiah and we see how all of it is received. You will not receive the land and the blessing. You will not receive dominion. You will not receive any of that until what? Jeremiah 31, your sins are forgiven. It's only one way of salvation. It's not two. It's not separate. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. No one. That's it. How was was Abraham saved? By trusting in God and believing in his promise. He was waiting for a savior to come. By grace, through faith, Abraham was saved the same way as Moses, same way as Peter, James, and John. Same way as Paul, same way as you. By grace, through faith. Going to them, she thanked them and spoke about the child and looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Very specific here. She's named a prophetess. And you might remember there's a few other women who have that title in Scripture. You remember? Miriam, Moses' sister, had the title of prophetess. Deborah, one of the judges, had the title of, of prophetess. So they're there. And she has this title, and she's devoted to God, and, and she's committed. How old is she? Depends on how you read the Greek text. And I want to show you two ways to read it. And then I want to encourage you, especially if you're old. Like me. Seven years of marriage. Let's say she's married at 13. Seven years of marriage puts her at age 20. She was a widow until she was 84. It could mean she was a widow at, from 20 to 84. 64 years. So it could mean that. She's 84. But it could also mean, the way it's written in the construction, it could also mean that she was a widow for 84 years. If she was a widow for 84 years, plus the 20, we have her at age what? 104. So we have a woman that's either 84 or 104. In either case, she's what? Old. She's old, like some of you really old. Old as dirt. Old. And what is she doing? Serving God. There was no retirement plan for Anna. There was no date. She didn't have a, a calendar on the wall and have a date marked off when she would finally retire. She would finally be able to, to go off and, 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 and sit by the River Jordan. And, and bask in the sun. She was serving. Why is that an encouragement to us? It doesn't matter how old you are. You remember the man? Saturday nights who came? You remember? Oh, you remember him? Got saved at 101 years old right here in this church. Would come week after week after week after week after. As an encouragement to me and to the entire congregation. There is work. Listen. God is calling you into service until when? Until your last breath. So it doesn't matter your age. Doesn't matter your station. Doesn't matter your physical. It doesn't matter. None of that matters. Anna is telling us that we serve until God calls us home. What a wonderful picture. You're needed. You are valuable. The kingdom of God is diminished if you don't put in what God has given to you. You are never, ever, ever beyond the age of serving the Almighty. That is a beautiful picture from Anna that we get. And, and we see the prophecy from Moses. Don't miss this. And then apply it to your own life. Moses prophesies for the tribe of Asher. And what does he say? Deuteronomy 33, 25. Your strength will equal your days. God will give you exactly. You may not have the same strength you had at 25. For some, you may not have the same strength you had at 55. Or 65. That's not the point. Your strength will equal your days. God will give you exactly what you need. To do exactly what he's calling you to do. That's the kingdom of God. There's a place for every single person. You matter. You're needed. You fit. And we're diminished if you don't put in. What a picture. From Anna. 84 or 104. Doesn't matter. She's old. And she's serving her God. And pouring her heart out for him. Well, let's close it. And let's take a look at Luke 2. We're going to have 
One more witness. Will you give me one more time for one more witness? We have Mary and Joseph. You expected them. But Simeon and Anna, who are they? I guarantee you this year when you take out your manger scene, you're going to be thinking in the back of your mind, oh, man. Remember what Pastor Tom was talking about Simeon? We've got to think about Simeon and Anna a little bit. Let's go back and read that one again. Simeon and Anna are critical to the birth narrative. They're absolutely critical. God must be faithful to his word. They're giving testimony to the word of God. So how do we close? One, one more testimony? Why not? Luke 2.40. It was in our passage. And the child grew and became strong. And he was filled with wisdom. And the grace of God was upon him. God testified to the truth and the heavens open later in the gospel accounts and we hear these words this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased what a beautiful picture Jesus testifies to who wait, wait till we wait till we get to him in the temple when the parents leave him behind wait till we get to that one next week I think we might get there so he testifies to himself. He knows who he is. But we have the testimony of Elizabeth. And we have the testimony of Zachariah. We have the testimony of Mary. And the testimony of Joseph. And we have God's testimony. But Simeon and Anna. What a beautiful picture. They represent all of humanity. The man and the woman. And it was not good for the man to be alone. So Anna shows up. What a wonderful picture of grace. And God's salvation. But I'm going to take you back to a point that you can go home with something that applies to your own heart. You ready? Remember, three things in every sermon. You're supposed to hear three things in every sermon. What does the text say? What does the text mean? And what does the text require? Dr. Raymond in seminary would say this constantly for those of us who were thinking about a preaching ministry. And I, 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 I hear the words over and over again. Tommy, you're going to get to the end. And every single person sitting there is going to be saying this. Okay, great message. Now what? You get to the now what place. So what? If it was a great message and you walk out of here and you don't do anything with it, you're not changed by it, then I have failed. So every single sermon has to have those three parts. We're dealing with what? We're dealing with what's called a falling, fallen condition focus. We're all broken and we're all fallen. So we have to speak into where we are. So how does it apply to your life as a student? How does it apply to your life as a, as, as, a, as a parent or a grandparent? How does it apply to your life at the office where you're working? It has to apply or there's no reason to be here. So now I want to show you something. I'm going to go back to the passage, verse 35 in chapter 2. Then I want you to take this with you. And I want this to minister to you this week. Ready? Luke 2.35. And I told you we'd come back to it and here we are. So that the thoughts, the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. Jesus reveals the thoughts of hearts. Yes? He, he revealed the thoughts of hearts 2,000 years ago. And Jesus is revealing the thoughts of hearts today all over the world. Do you agree with that? I'm going to show you a few examples of hearts revealed. And then we're going to go to our final song this morning. Are you ready? These are hearts revealed. Judas, his heart revealed a what? A love for prosperity. He wanted 30 pieces of silver and sold his Lord for it. Pilate, his heart revealed a love of power. Pilate loved his position of power and didn't want to lose it. And so his heart revealed. Jesus revealed the heart of Pilate. Power. Jesus revealed the heart of the Sanhedrin. They had a love of position. <clears throat> they loved their chief seats. They loved that all of Israel looked up to them. And it revealed their hearts. They were apostate. They were hypocritical and legalistic. And we're not seeking the consolation of God. The Pharisees, they had a love of prestige. We read that in Luke chapter 18. They prayed standing in the synagogues, praying standing in the synagogues so that people could see them. They loved the prestige of being a Pharisee. They loved it. And we could go on. We could, we could go. You could fill that list out and you could spend the next uh, three hours adding to the list. But let me give you one final one. They're sinners. And the sinner's heart revealed the love of Jesus. Is that your heart? Is that your heart today? That's the truth of the gospel.
He reveals the heart. What about you? What does your heart say about Jesus? That's it. You know, you know the song, What Child Is This? that, that Mary holds. And it's the only question that really matters. What child is this? But it doesn't matter what child this is in a song. It doesn't matter what child this is to the person next to you. It only matters what child is this to you. Who is he to you? What does your heart reveal about Jesus? Is he your consolation? Is he your hope and is he your comfort? Is, is he your light and, and is he your guide? And is he the one that you have transferred all of your trust to? That's the gospel. If you've never heard that before, you heard it this morning. Right now, I want to make something perfectly clear on, on, on live streaming, wherever this is heading. Right now is a moment of, of salvation. Tomorrow may not be. Right now, you are invited into a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Today is a day of salvation. Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's the gospel. And he doesn't say, come to me after you get cleaned up and come to me after you've been to church and after you've, you've gotten yourself straight and right. He says, come just as you are, broken, dirty. Come in a state that you don't believe you should come. You don't believe you belong. You don't believe it's for you. That's the whole point. Sinners, their hearts were turned to Christ. Who did he spend time with? The prostitutes, the tax collectors. And they were overwhelmed with the love of God in Christ Jesus. And their hearts revealed that they were sinners in need of a Savior. And they transferred their trust to Christ. The Samaritan woman goes back to her town. She, she was shunned. She was afraid. She would come and collect water at noon when no one was out. And on a divine appointment with Jesus, she runs back to town and shouts to the townspeople, Come! Come and see a man who knows everything about me. Who's told me everything. What happened to her? Her heart was transformed. By the love of God in Christ Jesus. See, she was naked and she was ashamed. So she hid at noon and collected her water. But for the very first time, listen to me if you've never surrendered control. Listen to me right now. When you surrender control to Christ for the very first time in your life, you are now naked and unashamed. Because Christ now has covered you in his righteousness. That's the gospel. Confess and believe. Trust and obey. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truths of the gospel. We thank you for the power that is in every word that we read. Every passage that we meditate on. Every story that we marinate in. Father, for trustworthy testimony, we thank you for Simeon. We thank you for Anna. We thank you that this word is true and that this word is for us. Father, if there's anyone now right here in the sanctuary or by way of the internet who has never surrendered control to Christ, may this be the moment of salvation. Give the gift of repentance and faith and raise them from death to life. May they sense the urging of the Holy Spirit. And they fall on their face before you, O oh God. And cry out, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. And then, Father, lift them out of the ashes of defeat. And show them the victory that is in Christ alone. And then give the confident assurance of this. That nothing can or will ever separate all those who are in Christ from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and continue worshiping with us?